All right, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, interesting chapter this morning. We're going to see uh, Paul take a trip this morning, a recollection of a trip that he went on. And it wasn't a trip to the Mediterranean, it wasn't a trip to Jordan, it wasn't a trip, uh, some vacation, it's a trip to heaven and back. Seriously, we're going to see in the scripture this morning, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul describes an out-of-body experience that he had where he actually went to heaven and then he came back. And it's interesting because it's, it's 14 years ago, Paul says, this experience happened, which places it right around the time of his first missionary journey when he was in this, and most scholars believe it was probably outside the city of Lystra, where he was stoned to death. Now, not stoned like we say stoned today, like he's on drugs or something. It was, the, it was the execution form of the Jewish people at the time, and the Jewish leaders that were against Paul took big stones, took them outside the exit of the city of, of, of Lystra, and because of their opposition to Paul, they executed him. They killed him. And he had an experience where he, we're going to see this morning in the scriptures, he went to the third heaven out of body and went to heaven and came back. And we're going to see some things about heaven this morning, and then Paul is going to go from talking about heaven to talking about a thorn in the flesh that he had that, uh, that he prayed about. And we'll see. So there's two things that we're going to really see and focus in on this morning. Paul's experience of heaven and then Paul's thorn in the flesh. Now, Paul, interesting, after he was stoned to death and then he was resuscitated, brought back to life, we're told in Acts chapter 14, uh, 19 through 20, uh, I'll read it to you. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having one over the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead, but while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derby. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was just in a city preaching, and then they dragged me out to the edge of the city, and they stoned me to death, I wouldn't say, hey, guys, let's go back. I'd be saying, let's get out of Dodge, quick. But he went back. Question, why, why did Paul go back? Well, two things, I think, on my insight on that is this. Is one, Paul, Paul, Paul was a fighter. Paul, Paul, he said, I've fought the good fight. I wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And Paul was always up for a good fight with spiritual warfare. He saw that people in that city still needed to hear about Jesus. And he didn't care. Wherever Paul went, there was either, uh, scholars say, there was either a riot or a revival. And oftentimes both happened. And so Paul says, let's go back. They, they, they just stole me to death and God brought me back here for a purpose. Let's go back and let's say, preach some more. I like that spirit of Paul. That's pretty tough, isn't it? But I think there's a second reason why Paul said, let's go back to the city. Let's go back to the city because I just experienced paradise. I just experienced heaven. And you knuckleheads around me prayed me back. Do you know that we just read that? They were gathered around Paul. And as they gathered around Paul, Paul was resuscitated, came back. And I just see Paul's spirit from being in paradise, being all of a sudden sent back to this filthy world in a sin-cursed body. And Paul, fluttering his eyes... And as he saw these Christians, oh, Lord, bring Paul back. We need him. He's our apostle. And Paul was probably just kind of grabbing his fist and saying, why are you guys praying to bring me back here? And so second reason why Paul might want to go back in that city is because maybe Paul said, let's go back and preach some more. Maybe they'll kill me again. I get to go back to heaven. That's another second possibility. So let's look at our scripture this morning and let's learn some things about heaven. Then we'll learn some things about the thorn in the flesh. Second Corinthians chapter 12, if you're there, say Amen. 
All right, let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, what Paul's doing here is he's defending his apostleship. We've been learning that in 2 Corinthians, in this section of 2 Corinthians 12, is Paul's having to defend his apostleship because there's people in Corinth against him that were denying that he was even an apostle. And some of them were saying, well, Paul's not an apostle because he hasn't had any revelations. He hasn't had any special visions from the Lord. And Paul's saying, okay, now that you're saying for me to be an apostle, I have to have revelations or visions, let me tell you about one. I had a heavy revy. I had a revelation where I went to heaven and came back. You don't think I'm an apostle and I haven't had any revelations or visions? Let me tell you about one where I went to the third heaven and came back. That's why Paul's bringing this up right now. Verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a man was caught up where? Third heaven. Now, third heaven, does that mean there's a first heaven for people that aren't so spiritual? And there's a second heaven for the medium Christians, and then the third heaven is when you're really a super Christian? Is that what it's saying? No, no, no. In that culture in the first century, there's three definitions of heaven. The first heaven for people in the Roman uh, Empire time, the first heaven, and for the Jewish culture too, the first heaven was where the birds flew. It was the atmosphere. We read about that in Genesis 1.30. It says, and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky, Hebrew there is to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. So the first heaven was where the atmosphere was, where the birds would fly, and you could visually see uh, the, the atmosphere. That's the first heaven in that culture. The second heaven was where the stars were at. You know, David talked about that in Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and expanse the work of his hands. And when David, as a shepherd boy, would sit out in the fields and watch his sheep and look at the stars and the glory of God's creation and the stars, that was the second heaven. Still today, I'm a stargazer. I love going on my back porch at night when it's black and dark out there and seeing those stars. They just point to God, don't they? His creation, you see his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, and just the heavens. And that's the second heaven, is the planets, the stars, the sun, the moon. That's the second heaven. But then the third heaven is the heaven where God's at, where God dwells. That's talked about in Revelation chapter 4, 1 through 2, when it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open, where? In where? Heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after these things. Immediately immediately I was in this spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. That's the third heaven Paul's talking about. It's a place where God's throne's at. It's a place where the angels are around the throne of God, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Myriads and myriads of angels up there. It's a place that Revelation talks about where it says that, that there's cherubim and seraphim and there's just the glory of God's presence and power just flowing like a river through the New Jerusalem. It's heaven, the third heaven. And that's what Paul's talking about here when he talks about he went to the third heaven. He went past the atmosphere, past the planets, to the place where God dwelt, where God's throne was at. And he was there, the third heaven. And verse 3 says, and I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise. Now, Paul's saying here, when he died, when he was executed outside the city of Lystra, he had an out-of-body experience. 
It was an out-of-body experience because in this time before the rapture, if you die as a believer, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. And so if you die as a believer right now, before the rapture happens, what happens is your soul and your spirit is transported out of your body to be present with the Lord, and your body's put in the grave. But there's coming a time at the rapture where 1 Corinthians 15 says that you won't be out of body anymore. It says when the trumpet blows in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, in a second, a nanosecond, when the rapture happens, if you've died before the rapture, your, body, your soul will be in heaven, and then it'll be reunited, 1 Corinthians 15, at the rapture with your body. And then, then you'll take your mortal body, which was in the grave, will become immortal. Your perishable body will become imperishable. But right now, if you die as a believer before the rapture, you'll have an out-of-body experience. It's like Paul. Your body will go to heaven, and your, your, or your, not your body, your spirit will go to heaven, your body will go on the ground. When I was in college, I, was, uh, I, took, I got certified as a scuba diver, and I took a scuba diving class at University of Illinois, and a bunch of us went down to uh, Belize, because it has one of the largest barrier reefs in the, in the world. And we went down there and went scuba diving for a week. It was amazing. And we caught lobster and fish and did spearfish and just awesome. But one of the things we had to do is we had to take the canoes that we had, and we took the canoes out to the reef, and then you had to time the waves crashing so that you have enough water to swim over the reef and then do spearfishing on the other side of the reef. We got lobster every day for dinner. We, we put butter on on the beach and cooked it and stuff. And free dinner every night, fish and lobster. It was awesome. But about one of my last days there, I didn't time the waves crashing on the reef right, and I got crashed myself on that reef, and I got dragged across some of the coral reef. And I didn't know this at the time, but what I, 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 part of the cut I got on my ankle was uh, f- fire coral. And fire coral's got poison in it. So I went back to University of Illinois after that week's scuba diving trip, and I got sick. I didn't know why I was sick. And then all of a sudden I started realizing that there was a, a, there was a red line going from my ankle where the coral was in all the way up my leg. And what that was was blood poisoning. And so I was just trying to gut it out on my dorm room one day, and I was just thinking, oh, the Lord will heal me. I'll be fine and stuff like that. And then I remember I started sweating. My fever arose, and I didn't know this, but the blood poison was taking over my system. And as I was sweating and he had this fever, my fever went up to 105 degrees. And I had this, just like Paul's talking about, my, I felt like my soul was starting to come out of my body. And I, and I remember as that experience happened, it was almost like a hallucinatory kind of experience. When that experience happened, I cried out to my roommate who was in the living room at the time. I said, I said, Jay Goldstein, bring me to the hospital. And he did. He rushed me to the hospital, went to the emergency room. As soon as I got to the hospital, they put me in a wheelchair and I passed out. And they just pumped me up with antibiotics. And the doctor said that, you know, if I didn't come into the hospital at that point with that food, po- with that blood poisoning, it could have killed me because of the 105 fever I had. And I believe at that time, my body, my, my, my soul was starting to go out of my because I was dying. And that's what happens when you die as a believer. Your soul leaves your body, and you go to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. Interesting. So Paul had this out-of-body experience. And it says, I know a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, verse 3, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which man is not permitted to speak. Now, first thing we're told about heaven, this third heaven that Paul experienced, paradise. What's paradise? Well, literally translated in the original language, paradise 
is park or garden. So what does that point us back to? Garden of Eden, right? Garden of Eden was a place where man perfectly dwelt with God. It was a place where God you know, walked with man through the cool of the day in the garden. It was a place where there was total provision for all his needs. It was a place where there was peace in all creation. Even the animals and mankind were at peace in that garden of Eden. It was a place where man was supposed to be for the rest of eternity but man messed it up with sin and bringing sin into this world. It was a place where God just blessed and blessed and blessed. What does that tell us about heaven? We're going back to the Garden of Eden. We're going back to a place where we're going to dwell with God for the rest of eternity in a glorious way. We're going back to a place where everything's right and not messed up because of sin. We're going back to a place where, according to Revelation, again, there's a river flowing from the throne of God, which I think represents the Spirit and His presence that's just going to be gushing into our lives for the rest of eternity. We're going back to a place where it's just going to be like the Garden of Eden all over again, paradise. And Jesus said to that man that was dying on a cross and looking in faith to him as he was dying, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, I think this experience of paradise with Paul propelled him in his ministry throughout the rest of his life. Why? Because he could say to the Philippians, uh, Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He could say to the Colossians, Colossians 127, hey, Christ in me, it's the hope of glory. And here's what I think propelled Paul. Paul knew where people were going that knew Christ. And he wanted to give that gift of Christ and eternal life and paradise and heaven to as many people as possible. And so he, as we saw last week, chapter 11, he endured shipwrecks and beatings and scourgings and you know, times where he's out in the, out in the shipwreck out on the Mediterranean Sea for a day and a night just clutching onto a piece of wood to live. He endured that and kept going and kept going and kept going because he wanted to bring paradise and heaven to as many people as possible. It motivated him. It's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to whoever believes. I want to give this gift of eternal life that I've experienced already. I want to give that to as many people as possible. The question is, do we have the heart of Paul in our hearts? I know we haven't experienced heaven yet, but we know of heaven from the scriptures and the scripture we just read about. And it should propel us to give this gift of heaven and paradise to as many people as possible, right? We're going to have a, a, a slogan for the year of or 2019, and, and we've already been talking about it, but we're going, to, we're going to make that the theme for this next year, 2019. Each one what? Each one, each one. We're going to put some banners up on top of each one of the heating and air units over here and here and there. And we're, as we walk in the sanctuary, we're going to be reminded every Sunday, every Wednesday night that our job as Christians is each one of us is supposed to reach one in this year 2019. Wouldn't that be cool if every one of us gave the gift of heaven to at least one person where we lead them to Christ in 2019 and then we get them here in church where they can be discipled in God's word and we could have an assurance that this person that we've reached for Jesus Christ is now going to go to heaven instead of hell. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Amen? So let's get busy about the Father's business and each one of us reaching one because that's the way Paul operated. He experienced paradise and wanted to give that to as many people as possible. Our last church that we started was in a college town, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And we started the church with um, 
the book of Revelation. Started a Sunday night Bible study with all these college students at UW Oshkosh. And um, a lot of the campus leaders that we had talked to said, what are you studying Revelation for? I mean, you, know, you know, that's just too heady for college students. And, but you know what? The book of Revelation starts Revelations 1-3. It says, blessed are those who hear and heed the words of this book. And so I wanted to bless these college students. So we started with a Bible study on Sunday nights. And we did something before Bible study. Bible study was 7. And we did a free dinner for all college students at 6 o'clock. If you feed them, they will come as college students. And they did. Within six weeks, we had 50 kids every Sunday night for dinner and for the book of Revelation. It was awesome. But I'll never forget one of the times we, in our gatherings with these college students, one of the worship leaders that we had, he prayed before we started worship and Bible study. He prayed this. He said, Father, help us as college students not to be selfish with this gift of heaven and eternal life. I'll never forget that prayer. He said, help us not to just hold on to this gift ourselves. Help us to give the gift of heaven and eternal life to as many people as possible. That should be our heart. Amen, church? Paradise. We got it, we got it ourselves. Let's give it to more people. Paradise. Now, second thing that Paul says about paradise that's interesting is it was inexpressible. Now, that's an interesting statement by Paul. He says, these, just the things I heard in heaven, he said, were inexpressible. Now, we've got to understand, Paul was an expresser. Paul wrote somewhere between a third to a half of the New Testament. The whole New Testament, a third or a half was written by Paul, depending on whether you believe he wrote Hebrews or not. He wrote somewhere between a third to a half of the whole New Testament. He expressed things. But if you study the writings of Paul, very little about heaven. Very little about heaven. Of all the epistles and the Romans, everything, very little about heaven. You know why? He's just told us right in the scripture. Inexpressible. Paul said, I saw things, I, I heard things. I can't even describe them to you. It's just mind-blowing. I heard about this girl that uh, was, was blind since birth. And her parents were, were told about a surgery she could have on her retinas that, that she could see again. So her parents got her into the hospital, and she's still a little girl, and they did a surgery. And what they did was they, uh, they fixed the retinas to the point that she'd be able to see again. And so they had bandages over her eyes in the hospital room. And every day the mom was, t- was allowed to take another bandage off, another bandage off, another bandage off, until it got to the end of the week, and the last bandage was coming off. Last bandage came off. And for the first time in this little girl's life, she could see And she looked into her mother's face and she saw her mother's eyes just loving on her. She saw the love of her mother for the first time, physically, seeing her eyes. Then her mom said, okay, let's let's go over to the the hospital window. I want to show you something, sweetheart. She brought her to the hospital window. It was the first time she could ever see. And she looks out the window and the sun was setting. And the oranges and the yellows and the beauty of God's creation was just first time she could see it. And then she looked across the street and there was a park and there was a squirrel jumping from one tree to the other tree and she could see the trees, beauty of God's creation. And then she said to her mom, Mom, why didn't you tell me about this stuff? Why didn't you tell me about the colors in the sunset? Why didn't you tell me about the park? Why didn't you tell me about the love that's in your eyes? And the mom said, sweetheart, how do I describe that? That's indescribable. But now you're seeing it. That's the same thing we're going to experience when we get to heaven, church. It's going to blow our minds. 
Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen? Amen. And, and you know what? I had a mission trip. I went on to Port-au-Prince, Haiti when I was in college. I'll never forget it because what happened was um, there was this guy in our, our, our high school. It's a big high school, Chicago, Illinois. But there was this guy. He was a Golden Gloves boxer, and he was the bully of the school. I mean, he, he beat people up just if you look at him wrong. Just he enjoyed just, just a nasty, I mean, oh, bully. His name was Clyde. I'll never forget him. And what had happened right before this mission trip was Clyde was driving home from Michigan to Chicago in his car late at night. And as he was driving home from Michigan, his car hit a turn and his brakes went out and his car went off the road. He, the car flipped 12 times. And he ended up in the hospital in intensive care and he was unconscious, paralyzed, in a coma. And then he went from that to being a miracle man because he got out of the coma got out of the paralysis, and uh, uh, he, was, he was still in a bad shape in the intensive care. And it was interesting because I was on part of Dr. Day's Bible study on Friday night at that time. And um, uh, we had some girls that knew Clyde that wanted to go witness to him. And I said, whoa, this, this guy, is, he's a tough cookie. I don't know about you guys. But these girls said, we're going to go witness to him. And they went to his hospital room in Chicago. And he went... And the night they went to visit him, he was just coming out of unconsciousness, and he received the Lord right there. First visit. And I said, why, you know, when I heard of the report that Clyde, the bully at school, just received the Lord, I said, what happened? And you know what happened? Clyde had an out-of-body experience, just like we're talking about, when he crashed 12 times and his car flipped 12 times. And he had an out-of-body experience where he went and he had an experience where, and God, and I don't understand biblically how this all works, but God spoke to him and said, you're, you're just temporarily in this situation. You're going back to earth. When you go back to earth, here's what you need to do. You need to serve me and live for me. And the moment he woke up, these girls from our Bible study, or Dr. Dave's Bible study on Friday night, were in his hospital room, and they told him about Jesus, and on the spot he received Christ. And then he went on a mission trip with us to Port Prince Haiti, and guess who got to be his roommate? I was like this. Is this guy going to beat me up in this room or what? And I heard three or four different times during that mission trip his testimony of what happened when his car flipped 12 times. And he described the glory of out-of-body encounter with God where God spoke to him and said, you need to go back and live for me and serve me the rest of your life. Amazing. Amazing. That's, and that's, that's what we're talking about here. Out-of-body experience that's inexpressible. And that's what Paul's describing here right now. Now, let's go on. Now we're going to go from the heaven to the thorn of the flesh. It says, on behalf of such a man, verse 5, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regards to my weaknesses. For if, if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I'll speak in the truth, but I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Now, now here's what Paul's saying here now. He's taking credit 
it was third person up till now. Now question, why did Paul talk about someone else having an experience when it was his experience? Because he wanted to stay humble. He didn't want to take too much credit for this revelation that he had. But verse 7, now he credits this to himself. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Here's what Paul's saying. Because of the greatness of the revelation that I had, of going to heaven and coming back, God allowed a thorn in my flesh to keep me humble. Now question, what was the thorn in the flesh that Paul had? Some, the scholars all kind of have different views on this. Some people that think the thorn in the flesh that Paul had was just the rejection of his Jewish brethren of the gospel. It was a constant thorn in his flesh that these people that he loved, the chosen people of God, were rejecting his message. Other people think the thorn in the flesh was just all the persecution he faced. Constant persecution for bringing the gospel to the Roman Empire. But a lot of scholars, and I believe that this third view is true, a lot of scholars believe it was actually a physical ailment. Because it was a thorn. The word thorn isn't just some tiny sliver. It's a tent stake. A tent stake that was, notice, in the what? Flesh. So that could point to a physical ailment. A lot of people think it possibly was a, a, a severe eye problem that he had because Galatians chapter 4, verse 15, in talking about to the Galatians how good they were to him, he says this, Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. What's Paul saying there? I have eye issues, and you love me so much that if it was possible, you would have taken your eyes and given me your eyes to help me with this physical ailment that I have of eye problems. I believe that probably was the thorn in the flesh. It was a physical ailment that Paul just wouldn't go away. Look what happens with that, uh, that, that thorn in the flesh now. Verse 8, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, that this thorn in the flesh would go away. Did God answer that prayer? Yes, he did. Here's how he answered, verse 9. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then what? Strong. Now, question. Some people say that if you pray for something more than once, it's showing a lack of faith. How many times did Paul pray for this thorn in the flesh to go away? Three times. No, no, no. I think it's just the opposite. If you persevere in prayer for something, it's a sign of faith because you're not giving up. You're continuing to bring it to the throne of grace. And so don't let anybody ever tell you that you should only pray about one thing once, and if you pray about it more than once, it's a lack of faith. Actually, it's a sign of faith if you persevere in prayer. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall knock. Find, or, or seek and you shall find, and knock on the door shall be open unto you. In the original language, when he said ask, seek, knock, original language, it's keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, right? Also, by the way, Paul not only prayed for something three times, someone else did too. Do you remember who it was? Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't just pray once. He prayed three times, Father, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Father, another time, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. And third time, Father, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. But Father, not my will be done. What? Your will be done. And that's ultimately what we're praying for. It's not our will, but God's will. Now notice, Paul prayed three times for this thorn of flesh to go away. 
What was God's answer? Really, it was no. Paul, it's not going to go away. But Paul, listen, my grace will be sufficient for you in the midst of this physical ailment, this trial, this tribulation. My grace will be there in the midst of your affliction. And second thing he said also about this thorn in the flesh, he says, God's using this thorn in the flesh to keep me humble. Keeps me humble. And there'd be a temptation in Paul's life to be pride, prideful because he was brilliant. He was a great missionary. He was a writer of much of the New Testament. He had the surpassing greatness of revelations and visions. It would have been easy for Paul to get prideful. But, but God said, oh, no, I'm going to let this tribulation, this physical element be there to keep you humble. And lastly, Paul said, the reason why God said, no, I'm not going to take it away, lastly, he said, is because in my weakness, God's power is made manifest. In this tribulation, this thorn in the flesh, I get to depend on the strength of Christ in my life. And then people could see my dependency upon Christ gives me strength, gives me power. Amen? Some of the quotes I read this week were, were challenging on this. One was uh, Warren Wiersbe, great Bible commentary, who said this, in the loving will of God, suffering has purpose that can be fulfilled in no other way. Accept it, and it will become a heavenly blessing. Fight it, and it will become a heavy burden. You know what he's saying there? He's saying when you face trial, when you face affliction, when you face something that's going on in your life that's tough, that's adversity, you, can, you have a choice. It's a test of faith. Are you going to trust the Lord and just surrender that to the Lord and say, God, you're sovereign over me, and I believe you're working this for my good and for your glory. And as you do that, it'll be a blessing then. That adversity will become a blessing. But if you fight it and you don't trust the Lord in that adversity, it's going to become a burden. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Amen? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Realize, when you face adversity, church, please, please realize, God can use that trial. God can even use, use, that, use the physical ailments to give you a dependency upon him so his power and his grace can flow in your life and also to keep us humble in a state of growing spiritually. You are going to grow more in adversity than you are in prosperity. Always, always true. Consider it all joy, my brethren, <laughs> when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testimony of faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, some of my favorite Calvary Chapel Bible teachers and pastors have been through some real adversity. Amazing. John Corson, one of our best Bible teachers, amazing anointing upon his ministry for the last 40 years, really, in Oregon, Applegate Valley uh, Church in Oregon, the Calvary Chapel there. I don't know if you know his story or not, but when he was just a young pastor, just starting that church, he was with his wife driving down a mountain road from the church. As he was driving down the mountain road, they hit, it was wintertime, they hit black ice. And their car swerved off the road, I believe it hit a tree or something, and his wife was killed in that accident. He had, they had preschool kids. He went to becoming a single dad, pastoring a booming, thriving church by himself. And you know what? He didn't quit. He didn't, he didn't, he just, he didn't say, well, God did this to me, I'm out of here. Continue to pastor, continue to teach the word, continue to build a great church. And not only did he not quit, but he, he continued just an amazing influence in regards to not only that church, but pastors over the world read his commentaries to be helped in studying the word. 
Well, it was several years later, his 16-year-old daughter, who was a preschooler when, his, when the mom died, driving down that same mountain road from a prayer meeting at church, hits a patch of the same kind of thing, black ice. She go, runs off the road. She dies, too. His oldest, the oldest kid, his, his daughter, amazing. But you know what? Again, John Corson, in the midst of that, he wrote a book called A Future and a Hope. And he continued to trust the Lord. And the Lord continued to bless his ministry because he did what Paul's talking about here. He allowed God, God, the adversity that he was facing be a source of power and grace in his life. Another example, Greg Laurie, one of my other favorite Calvary Chapel pastors. He's built a great church, probably the large, one of the largest churches in the world for Calvary Chapel in Riverside, California. Just five years ago, his son had just, he was a prodigal son. He had a son that was prodigal, and his son just turned the corner, came back to Christ. He brought his son on staff to be a graphic designer for their, for their whole ministry. Son was doing great. Son was driving to church, again, driving to church on the L.A. freeways, got in a car and died. Greg Laurie, I've seen in his ministry in the last five years since that happened in his ministry, there's a new unction of the Spirit. There's a power that wasn't there before. There's always been power in his ministry, but he's trusted the Lord in the midst of the tribulation, and God's used it for his glory. Amen? We got a choice, church. We got a choice to make. When adversity strikes, are we going to pass the test of faith? Are we going to say, God will use this for his glory and my good? God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love God and call it according to his purpose. I'm going to keep persevering. I'm going to keep going forward, and I'm not going to quit on living for God. I'm not going to quit on my faith. I'm not going to go back to the world. I'm not going to go back to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. I'm going to keep living and serving God no matter what this life throws at me. And that's what Paul did. Through shipwrecks, through beatings, through imprisonments, through scourgings, just kept serving the Lord. Through thorns in the flesh, he kept serving the Lord. Now question, question in closing this morning, question. Why would Paul put in the same chapter, back to back, uh, heaven and then the thorn in the flesh? Why wouldn't he just stick with the topic of paradise? Why would he talk about the thorn in the flesh right next to talking about heaven? There's a reason. There's a reason. They're connected. Listen to what Paul said about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. He said this, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For this momentary light affliction is producing for us what? Eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Then a similar verse also in Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Why are these connected? Why is heaven right back to back with the thorn in the flesh? Because when we face thorns in the flesh, the biggest thing we can do to overcome the ailment or the tribulation or the trial we're going through is keep our eyes on heaven. Like Paul said to the Colossians, set your mind on the things above. Keep seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness so all these things will be added on to you. And as you stay focused on the goal of heaven, you stay focused on the fact that Christ in me ultimately is the hope of glory, that eye is not seen, ear is not heard, all that God's prepared for me. As you keep focused on that, that'll give you the power you need and the strength you need and the faith you need to keep serving Jesus and keep persevering 
and not quit. Because you know what? That's the devil's goal. He wants you to quit. He wants to paralyze you and discourage you so you just give it up and go back to the world. And you know what? Paul says, hey, keep your eyes on the eternal, not the temporal. Paul said, hey, this stuff you're facing in life is light and momentary, and it's producing for you an eternal, listen, weight of glory. Amen? This is probably about uh, four and a half years ago now. All of a sudden, um, I got something I never had before, and that was a a health issue. For 50-some years, I never had really any health issues at all. Never missed a Sunday from preaching. And, you know, 30, 40 years of preaching, never missed. All of a sudden, I got this virus. And it was a virus in my eye. I called it the virus from hell because it wouldn't go away. And it, I mean, it, literally, it was supposed to go away within 8 to 12, eight to 12 uh, days. And for six weeks, my eye was like blood red. And then what this virus did was it went from a virus to particles, and the particles got on my cornea. And the cornea, uh, the, the chronicles, or the, 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 the cornea started having uh, chronic pain. Never experienced something like that before. And it was just, it was, it was, it was debilitating for me because I'd never been through any kind of pain at all. I've, I've always been super healthy. And, and all of a sudden, the chronic pain put my whole body into what was called, doctors say, a fight and flight mode. And the fight and flight mode I had because of this chronic pain started me to fight with the sleepless issues. I was starting to struggle with sleep. Never, I always slept like a baby. But I was in this adrenaline mode because of the fight and flight, because of the virus and then the chronic pain. And I remember, I, I, some of you were here when that was going on, I had to actually take a sabbatical because I was just wiped out by the sleeplessness and also this chronic pain that was in my uh, cornea. I remember during that season of the sabbatical, I remember Heidi and I s- sought counsel, sought help, sought medical issues or pl- health issues we could deal with with this stuff, and we got through it, and we're, we're on the other side now. But I remember, I remember going through that, and I, I remember going and saying, I've got to get some counsel on this, because I was at a place where I was paralyzed by it, and I was this close, to be honest with you, church, I was this close to giving it all up in regards to ministry. I just was devastated by this thing. Part of it was the sleeplessness, I think. And when I get to, listen, when I get to heaven, I'm looking forward to talking to Paul about this thorn of the flesh, because I really believe he had eye issues, too. And Second Corinthians 6 and 11 said he had sleep issues, too, sleeplessness. And so when I get to heaven, I would say, Paul, let's talk about this thorn of the flesh thing. That was really something, wasn't it? But I remember we got some, during our sabbatical, we got some counsel. And I remember one of the counselors that helped me the most, it was Heidi and I and this lady counselor. She was trying to work, help us work through this stuff. And she, she was one of those counselors that just spoke the truth to you. And she said, okay, tell me, our first session, she said, tell me what your life verse is. I said, that's easy. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toll in the Lord is not in vain. That's my life verse. And then she said, well, what have we been struggling with? And I said, well, this, this chronic pain and the sleeplessness issue I'm dealing with and stuff, I said, I said, I just feel like just giving it all up. And she started smiling. I said, I wanted to hit her. <laughs> what are you smiling about? <laughs> Did you just not hear what I've been going through? What are you smiling about? And she said, <laughs> then she started laughing a little bit. I'm going, she's laughing now. And she goes, when, isn't that just like the devil. You tell me your life verse is be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
And the devil's got you to a point right now where you're going to quit. And she, she rebuked me. She said, you should never, ever utter those words ever again. And Heidi hold him accountable. And she asked, <laughs> he said, don't let him ever speak those words again that he's going to quit. And she, she rebuked me and she said, and you know what? You need to get back to your life first. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that you're toying the Lord's not in vain. And I said, yes, ma'am. And, I, and in my spirit at that point, it was a breakthrough. And my spirit at that point said, game on. I am not listening to the devil anymore. I'm going to be steadfast. I'm going to be immovable. Let's get back to serving the Lord and knowing, abounding in his work, because I know that my toil is not in vain. And we got back to business for the Lord after that trip. It was amazing. But you know what? That's what Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying, hey, if you're facing adversity, if you're facing trials, if you're facing some kind of affliction in life, listen, God has purposes and plans for those trials and afflictions. God will use those afflictions to bring his grace into your life. God will use those afflictions to manifest his power in the midst of your weakness. God will use those afflictions also to keep you humble and keep you dependent upon him. And thank God for those things and then keep serving the Lord. Can I get an amen on that? Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep being steadfast. Keep being immovable. Keep being abounding in the work of the Lord. Your work in the Lord is not in vain. Keep living for Jesus, even in the midst of adversity. And listen, some of the best growth spurts you'll ever have in life is when life is tough and you trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Oh, don't try to figure it out. In all your ways, just acknowledge him. And he'll direct your paths. He'll, he'll set your paths straight. And listen, too. God's grace is sufficient. He can carry you through anything you're going through. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord our shepherd says, I will be with you, and my goodness and mercy will follow you the rest of your days as you allow me to be the shepherd. Isaiah talks about Chapter 43 talks about going through a fire and th going through like a flood of water. And in the midst of that, God says this, I will be with you in the fire and I'll be with you in the flood and you are precious and you are honored in my sight and I love you. That's a word for somebody this morning. You're precious in God's sight. He loves you and he is with you. Amen? Amen, Man, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your word gives us an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not yet seen. We thank you that your word reminds us of the greatness that's around the corner for us as Christians, Lord. Soon and very soon, we are going to see our king. We have, not, we have no idea of the glory that's awaiting us. It's inexpressible, God. We thank you, God, that around the corner from this life, if we trusted Christ, there's paradise. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, what you have prepared for us, Lord. And we thank you for that. Thank you, God, in the midst of that, in the midst of the stuff of this world, we have heaven as our home, and our hope and our future is in this place called paradise, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes on that, Lord. And I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that's in the midst of affliction right now, the midst of maybe a physical ailment right now, midst of some kind of, maybe some struggle in their life. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a marital problem. Whatever trial they're going through, Lord, 
Lord, I pray that they would trust your word that says this morning, your grace is sufficient. And your power can be made known in our weakness. And Father, you use these things in our lives to keep us humble and to keep us on that path where we're usable instruments in your hand, Father. Father, I pray for a fresh wind of your spirit to blow into some lives this morning that need a fresh touch of your strength and your grace and your power this morning, God. I pray for people that are in the midst of adversity right now that just need a reminder that you love them and that they're precious and honored in your sight and you are with them. And if you're with them, God, who could be against them? If you be for us, God, who could be against us? Lord, I just thank you so much again for the strength you give us. You are the strength of our lives, Lord. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So remind us of that this morning and help us to trust in that this morning and help us to keep being steadfast, keep being immovable, keep always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil in you is not in vain, Lord. Help us to stay in that forward momentum of pressing on to the upward call of God that you have for each one of us, Lord. Help us forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead and keep pressing on for your kingdom. And I pray too, Lord, that we have this mentality that we're not supposed to have a selfishness in this gift of eternal life. We're supposed to be passing it on to as many people as possible, Lord. We're supposed to be sharing this gift of paradise with as many people as possible and telling people about Jesus and your gospel and your truth in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. Use it for your kingdom, your glory. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen.